I'm Brian Dwyer, one of the teaching pastors. I'm the guy on that video that you just saw just a minute ago. Uh, it's awesome to be here today. Eric is out in Syracuse at our Syracuse campus. I don't know if, you, I'll just take a minute to let you know, maybe you don't know this because Eric probably wouldn't say this to you, but Eric is giving leadership to our Syracuse campus. He's giving oversight to our Syracuse campus leadership as well, which is pretty cool. I think that's, uh, uh, we, we just recognize that Pastor Eric has got incredible gifts uh, and is really an amazing leader. And and he's got a relationship with Mark Alstrom. Many of you know Mark Alstrom. He's giving leadership at our Syracuse campus right now, which is our newest campus. And so as we pray, uh, the executive team at Alpine, we prayed about who should give leadership to Mark Alstrom. And it was pretty obvious to us that Eric was the guy. So we're going to be rotating him into Syracuse every once in a while just so that that, that campus can get to know him because uh, Mark Alstrom's not actually a pastor. He's just giving, he's the director of the campus. He's not a pastor just yet. So in essence, uh, Eric is going to be the pastor that that campus knows and hopefully loves like you guys know him and love him as well. So he's there this morning preaching for the first time. In fact, I think it'd be good for us to pause for a moment and pray for him before we get into this. Let's do that. Lord, we pray for Pastor Eric. We pray for the Syracuse campus. And uh, I pray that as he as he shares your word there, uh, that you would speak with power and authority through Eric. And I pray, Lord, that he would connect with some of those folks over at Syracuse, that they would feel loved, that they would feel known. Lord, I know Syracuse campus has been through a kind of a tough year. Um, their pastor resigned kind of unexpectedly this year, but you are still on the throne. And I know, God, that you're doing great things there. We're excited about what you're going to do in Syracuse. And so give Eric just your anointing today as he connects with Mark and Sharice and, and with, this, with our church there in Syracuse. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, before we get into the message, I just wanted to, to make a quick little announcement about year-end giving. It's the last Sunday of the year, which means this, you're running out of time to do some year-end giving. And I love this passage from 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and verse 7. Paul writes this to the church in Corinth. He says, since you excel in so many ways... In your faith, your gifted speakers, your knowledge, your enthusiasm, and your love from us. He says this to them, I want you to excel also in this gracious act of giving. This is one of my favorite verses on giving because I, I've, I never really, early, in my, earlier in my life, I never really thought about giving as something that you could grow in. I just thought, well, you give or you don't give, right? Um, and as a follower of Jesus, as a, now as a mature follower, a maturing follower of Jesus, I realized that just like, just like we want to grow in all of our disciplines, in fact, next week we're starting this series on spiritual disciplines. We're going to talk about prayer and fasting and things like that. It's going to be great. But I think we also need to grow that giving, financial giving, is a spiritual discipline as well that we need to grow in. So we need to grow in the discipline of giving. I don't want to just be better at teaching I don't want to just be better at reading, studying my Bible. I don't want to just grow in my discipline of prayer. I want to grow in the discipline of giving. So Tracy and I, I'll just tell you, Tracy and I give more than 10% to Alpine Church pre-tax. And on top of that, we give another probably 5 or 6% of our income every single month. We do it before we do anything else. We, we, don't, we don't say, well, let's see if I've got the money. We've got the money this month. We just do it before we do anything else. Some of you might be like, what the heck? You give away 15, 16, 17% of your, 
of your income, pre-tax income. And some of you, that you might be like, oh, I'm not going to do that. That's, that's way, t- like there was no way I could do that. Here's what I would say to you. Then don't. Seriously, don't. Don't give 17%. Give 1% or 2% or 3% or 4%. But the point is, and, and this is because we're not legalistic around here. The point is we want to grow in our giving. Giving is one of the easiest things to measure. You do or you don't. Sometimes prayer, it's a little bit hard to measure. Bible study is a little bit easier to measure, but giving is the easiest thing to measure because you can look at it at the end of the year. You'll get a statement from Alpine Church or whoever else you support, and you can say, well, I, I, did, I gave this much or I didn't give this much. It, giving doesn't lie, right? Those numbers don't lie. So for Tracy and I, what we did is when we first got married, we started giving, and we didn't start giving 17%. We started giving less than 10%, but we gave and we, and we said, this is a value of ours, and we're going to do this, and we gave. And then every year, we would say, can we, can we push this a little bit? And we did. We'd push it a little more, and we'd push it. And so today, again, I don't say that to brag. I say that to be an example to you. Paul was an example to us, the Apostle Paul. And Paul's writing to a church in Corinth that, that I think was really well-known for some of this stuff. They were well-known for their gifted speakers, they were well-known for their knowledge. They were one of the smarter campuses, right? They were well-known for their enthusiasm. You guys are well-known for your enthusiasm, I should tell you that. Brigham City is well-known for your enthusiasm among all the campuses, thanks to your pastor. Eric, Eric is awesome, and he brings energy to our whole team. It's, it's awesome. So you guys are known for all of that, and to be honest with you, you're known as good givers. You guys are a good giving church. Every time you've You've been challenged to give more. You've stepped up your giving. So good job. You are, I think you, you're a campus who does excel in giving. My message to you this morning is keep excelling because this next year we're adding more staff here. We're adding more, you know, we're adding youth and worship. And so this next year, your, your numbers at this campus are getting, are, your expenses are gonna be going up in faith. They're going up so that we can continue to do great ministry here. So we need to meet the need. We don't get subsidized by the state of Utah. Uh, Maybe you guys didn't know that, but Alpine Church does not get subsidized. Like all the giving, everything that we, that we, all the, everything that we pay for at Alpine Church comes from Alpiners. So we just want to encourage you to grow in the grace of giving. Again, year-end giving, it's your last chance these next few days. So if you want to get, if you want to do an extra gift, Tracy and I always like to do an extra gift at the end of the year. If you want to do an extra gift, or maybe just give for the very first time, this is a great time to do it. So there's three ways to give online, and you can check it all out at alpinechurch.org slash give. All right, enough of that. Let's talk about this final sermon in our series on the prophecy from Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6. We've been calling this, He Will Be Called, and we've been going through this passage right here, which was written more than 700 years before Christ came, was born into the earth. The prophet Isaiah, in the Old Testament, he said, for a child is born to us, a son is given to us, the government will rest on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And we've been unpacking each one of these monikers, each one of these names for God. Every week we've been unpacking a different one. So we talked about Wonderful Counselor. Then we talked about how he's the Mighty God. And on Christmas Eve, if you were here, we talked about Prince Prince of Peace because we felt like that fit better on Christmas Eve. 
And so that leaves for us today the potentially theologically complicated one of everlasting father. Because I don't know if you ever thought about this. I didn't actually think about this till we, did, till we started prepping this series. I've always known that this passage is talking about Jesus. And I've never thought about how weird it is that we, talk about, that we call Jesus the everlasting father in this passage. Jesus is the son. He's not the father. Right? The Bible, we, we believe the Bible makes it pretty clear that Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the second person of the Trinity. The Trinity, this biblical concept of Trinity is God exists as three persons, but he's one being. I know that's hard to understand, but I don't understand how TVs work and I watch them every day. So it's hard to understand, just because you can't, we can't wrap our mind around the, the paradox of the Trinity. It's a paradox. It's two things that seem like they're contradictory that are both true at the same time. It's called a paradox. It's not a contradiction. The paradox of the Trinity, this sermon's not about the Trinity, but I gotta just say this. The paradox of the Trinity is that God exists in a way where we don't exist. You and I are all one person, one being, God somehow is three persons, one being. And you say, I'm gonna throw a flag at that. I don't get that. And I say, great, this is why we worship God. God is bigger than us. He's more complex than us. You're not God. I'm not God. We will never be God. God was, is, always was who he is. And he's always existed in this way where he's, he is Father, Son, Holy Spirit. So how is it that Isaiah is talking about Jesus saying that Jesus is the everlasting father. The answer is actually really simple as we talk about this final topic in our series. Everlasting father is more accurately translated father of eternity. So think about it like this. If you were reading this passage in Isaiah chapter nine, if you were reading it in the original language, it would actually be translated, more accurately be translated, father of eternity, or another way to say that is author of eternity. So don't get tripped up when it says everlasting father. It shouldn't threaten our understanding of the Trinity. It's really just talking about the fact that Jesus is the author of of eternity, and that is exactly what the Bible says in John chapter one, verses one through five. It says this, Christ, the eternal word, the eternal word in the beginning, the word, which is talking about Jesus, the word, the logos, already existed. In the beginning, the word, I should say not Jesus, but the second person of the Trinity, the word existed in the beginning. The son of God was there at the creation of the world. It wasn't Jesus, long-haired hippie Jesus like we think of, because Jesus is, when Jesus was born into the world on Christmas, when we celebrate on Christmas, that was when the son of God, the second person of the Trinity, took on flesh 2,000 years ago. So the son of God, Jesus didn't have a, the son of God didn't have a body at the creation of the world. And we're getting into some weeds here theologically, but I think it's important for you to understand that when it says in the beginning the word already existed, it's talking about the second person of the Trinity. That, that the son of God, the second person of the Trinity, the logos, the word was with God in the beginning and he was God, this is what John writes in his gospel, he was God, and he existed in the beginning with God. Let's read some more of this. God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. 
the word gave life to everything that was created and his life brought light to everyone. The light shines in the darkness and the darkness can never extinguish it. I love this passage. I love, I love the symmetry in God's word that in Genesis chapter one, verse one, it says, in the beginning, same words, right? And then in John chapter one, John uses those same words, very similar words from Genesis saying, in the beginning, the word. And it's talking about Jesus. It's talking about the second person of the Trinity. So the second person of the Trinity is the Alpha and the Omega. The second person of the Trinity is the A and the Z. Jesus was, is, and always will be the eternal creator of all things. That's really hard for me to wrap my mind around. It's really hard for me to understand that, that, G, that the Son of God was in the beginning with the Father, and the Father spoke the, the word, the Son spoke the world into existence. When it says, let there be light, and there was light, all of that happened through the power of the Son of God. And this is what the prophet Isaiah is talking about. This is what he's prophesying about. This is what he's alluding to. And the truth is, in Ecclesiastes, it says this, Solomon said, he has planted, God has a planted eternity in the human heart. I don't know if you can relate to this, but there's something about us that is for more than this world. There's something, God created us for more than this world, for more than the temporal things. There's something eternal that is calling all of us, that is drawing all of us into relationship with the eternal God. The truth is that many people out there in the world have no sense. There are so many people in today's world, maybe some of you are here today, who don't understand that there's more to this life than what we see. There's so many people who, who haven't yet tapped into this fact that there's eternity on your heart that, and it's planted there by an eternal God. There's something that you were made for that is so much, that is so much goes so much beyond what we have in this world. I experienced this just a couple years ago. I, you know, my, my whole life, I've just been one of those guys to put my head down and just kind of plow through. And all of a sudden, about two years ago, something happened. And I, I, I can't really explain it as anything else but like an existential crisis in my own life. Like there was, there was this incredible sense of angst. And it had to do with eternity. The closest I'd gotten to that previously was several, more than a decade earlier when, I, when the doctor said I had cancer and said that I had just months to live. And it turns out he was wrong. I'm still here. Um, and it wasn't just a miracle of God. It was a misdiagnosis of the doctor. He was wrong. But for three weeks, I had that, I had, Tracy and I lived with this. Our kids were little. We lived with this what we thought was a fact that I wasn't gonna be here very much longer. And that, that was the first time I really started to wrestle with the fact that I'm not gonna be here forever. You young men don't even understand this, but you young men are like invincible. Someday you're gonna get old and someday you're gonna realize I'm not gonna be here forever. You know what that's gonna draw, call to mind is this verse. He has planted eternity in the human heart. 
It's a good thing if you can start thinking about eternity. It's such a good thing if you can sort of fast forward and say, wait a second, let me think about five years or 10 years or 20 years or 100 years down the road. There's no one alive. Did you know that AJ just told me this, that the very last um, reparations or the very last payment of the Civil War went out in 2020? The very last Civil War payment. It was apparently a soldier in the Civil War who 50 years later married a very young, um, like a 40-year younger woman. So they had, a, they had a kid in the, like the early 1900s, and that kid was still getting like $75 a month from the government for this first, as a Civil War vet thing. Isn't that crazy? In 2020, the last Civil War payment went out. Like we finally have that off the books. You know, that's gonna really help. That $75 every month is really gonna help our government. But think about it. what that means is there's nobody who knew who really ex- has any connection to the Civil War is alive today. And you're, there's going to be a day when you're going to when you're going to be history as far as this world is concerned. But you will still be around because you're eternal and I'm eternal. There's an eternal part of us, and God has written eternity on the human heart, and that's nothing to be afraid of, especially if you understand this message. What we're, going to, what we're going to be sharing today, especially if you understand the simple gospel. I want to share some of that with you today. This verse, 1 John 1, 1 and 2, it says this, we want to tell you about the one who was from the beginning. We have seen him with our own eyes. We've heard him with our own ears, and we've touched him with our own hands. This is the Apostle John writing this. He says, the one, this one, he's talking about Jesus, is the manifestation of the life-giving voice and he showed us real life, eternal life. We have seen it all, and we can't, can't keep what we've witnessed quiet. We have to share it with you. We're inviting you to, the, to experience eternal life through the one who was the Father and came down, who was with the Father and came down to us. And this is who Isaiah is talking about. He's talking about the author of eternity, Jesus. He's the author of eternity. He's the author of of everything, but he's the, also the author of eternity itself, which is written on our hearts. And so I want to just real quick this morning talk about how this plays out in our lives in these three simple ways. Number one, Jesus is the author. Jesus, the author of eternity, gives us eternal joy. We have this ability to have what the Bible calls joy. And it comes from the author of eternity, eternity. Jesus gives us this joy that is deeper than our circumstance, that goes further than our circumstances. Mike, I really liked what you said in the announcements this morning. How do, I can't remember how you said it, but you said something about how our 2020 has like a hold over us or control over us. Man, that was good. That, that's a lie. 2020 doesn't have control over us. This pandemic doesn't have a hold on. The author of eternity, Jesus, can give us joy in the midst of this year. 2020 has been a really hard year for many of us. But it cannot steal our joy. It cannot rob our joy. Because our joy doesn't come in our circumstances. Our joy comes in Jesus. Our joy comes in the Lord. It's, a, it's such a deeper experience of gratitude. It's a, it's, and it's all rooted in this truth that we know about eternity. 
Sometimes I, I'm one of these guys that gets just so caught up in the here and now and so caught up on the task that I'm working on. And, and every once in a while, and I try to do this through the dis- spiritual discipline of prayer, which we're going to be talking about in the next couple of weeks, I'm really trying to discipline myself to just zoom out. Just to zoom out and say, what? you know, I don't, I don't have to be so like, stressed out about what's going on right now, right in this situation. I don't, have to be, I don't have to be so filled with anxiety about what's happening in this situation. So many kids today have, have anxiety, I think, at record levels. And young people, I want you to hear this. The, the source of your peace is Jesus because he gives you this joy that allows you to zoom out and say, you know what, he's still in charge, he still has it all. I'm not just living for this life anyway. It's not all about this life. There's so much more than what we can see with our eyes. And so because of that, we can have eternal joy. Some of you might need to zoom out a little bit and see the author of joy, the author of eternity who brings us this eternal joy, this joy that goes beyond what we can experience here on this earth. This is what I had to tap into a couple years ago when I started having these panic attacks and I started having this sort of existential angst. I don't know if maybe it was a midlife crisis. I'm not sure what. But whatever it was, I was dealing with some emotions that I'd never dealt with before. I was dealing with a, this, this darkness. Some of you say, no, I know what you're talking about. I was dealing with this darkness. And I want to tell you this. I could not have gotten through that without the joy that comes from Jesus Ecclesiastes says, the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. I had to tap into, and it took me several months, but I had to start tapping into something that was way beyond me because I was, I had, for some reason, I was focusing on the here and and the now. I was focusing on the temporal. And in my relationship with Jesus, he helped me to focus on the eternal. And that brought a joy that I can't even really explain. That, uh, that brought a joy that is, a, that is deep and abiding. And some of you are here today and you would say, that's what I need. I need that joy because I'm anxious about this situation or I'm, de- I'm struggling with depression or I'm struggling with this, with this issue that I can't seem to get over. And my answer to that is the only solution is in Jesus, the author of eternity, and he gives you joy that just goes so much further than you you could ever even think or imagine. Turn to that Jesus. Here's the second thing that the author of eternity gives us. He gives us eternal love. He doesn't just give us eternal joy. He gives us this, what we would call love that's eternal as well. And it's it's not love like the way that we use that word in our culture today. It's real, unconditional love. Jesus gives us this love that really is, I would say, is at the root of why we can have joy in the first place. Maybe you know somebody who loves conditionally. You probably do. We, because we're human beings, we all tend to love conditionally. Maybe you, you have a dad or a mom or, or, a, or a spouse who loves conditionally. That's not how Jesus' love works. Jesus' love is based on his commitment to you and to me. His love is based on his promise 
to you and to me. His love is not based on your performance. This is the good news of the Bible. The good news is this, that Jesus came, he invaded our world, he lived a perfect sinless life, he went to the cross, he died on the cross in our place because, because our sins had to be paid for. Jesus paid for our sins on the cross and three days later he rose from the grave to prove that he has power over sin and death and the, and, and the grave. And the Bible says this, it's so simple and so many people still struggle because it just seems too simple. But this is the love of God. The Bible says this, if we would place our faith in the finished work of Jesus on the cross and the Bible says that we're a son or daughter of God. And it's based on his work and our humble acceptance of his work but so many people try to earn his love. So many people try to, try to work for his love. So many people have sort of this checklist and they're like, well, if I do this, then God will love me. And if I do this, then God will love me. And if I don't do this, then maybe God will love me. If I avoid these things on this list, God will love me. And if I do these things on this list, then God will love me. And that's all merit-based. And so many people fall into that trap thinking that's how God's love works because that's how their, the love of their dad worked or the love of their mom worked or the love of their spouse works. But that's not how God's love works. Jesus, the author of eternity, gives us this eternal love, this, this basic love that, that is so perfectly summed up in John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son so that whoever would believe in him would not die but would have everlasting life. It doesn't say so that whoever would become a really good person doesn't say so that who, whoever would stop screwing up. It says that whoever would believe in him. And the Bible says that if we place our faith in him, then he gives us this love that could never be taken away. And I want to invite you today, if you're here and you say, I've never done that. I've heard that, but I don't know if I believed it. Maybe this morning you would say, I, I, I believe that. And I want to receive that That love. I want to receive that unconditional love. I just invite you to do that today. We'll have some leaders up here at the front. We'd love to pray with you and talk with you about that. Last thing, Jesus, the author of eternity, gives us eternal purpose. And this is for those of you who are, who are followers of Jesus already. We talk about this all the time, but we just can't, we can't say it enough. He, living Living on purpose with Jesus, there's no other way to live. And he gives us this incredible purpose. I love that when Jesus first met his disciples, he calls his disciples, he says, follow me. He said, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. What I, what, the reason I can just so relate to that, and maybe this is a guy thing, I don't know, I, I think women... Maybe women can relate to that too, but I know a lot of guys that can relate to that. Like we don't want to just, like being a part of this, this Christian thing, we don't want to just be bystanders. We don't want to just come and sit in the seat and, and consume and take and sing, sing a little worship, listen to a message and check that off our box and go home. I think so many of us, and I, I know that this is true here at this campus, so many of us are like, we're drawn to something deeper than that. And you know what that is? That's purpose. Jesus gives us that purpose, so when he calls us, it's like he says, hey, Brian, follow me, and I'll make you a fisher of men. I'm going to give you purpose. And what I love about it is that, that that's how Jesus called his followers to himself. 
He didn't say, follow me, and I'm going to give you a better car. Follow me, and you're going you're gonna to live a little higher up on the mountain. No, he says, follow me, and you'll, get, you'll have purpose. Follow me, and your life will mean something. And I, there's something about that for me that just draws me to Jesus. Like, I want to I sign up for something. I see this in my son, too. My son is 17, and one of his favorite genres of movies to watch is, is war movies. And I think one of the reasons is because he sees these young men in World War II era, and he sees these young men who have purpose in their life. He sees these young men who, like, get, they grab arms and they get in the game. And what, what he's wrestled, I can see it because we talk about this afterward. What he wrestles with is, because could I do that? I don't know if I have the courage to do that. I don't know if I, you know, some of these guys are 18 years old going, to, going off to war. And some of the stuff, especially in World War, World War II that they had to face, it's just like, man, I don't know. AJ says, I don't know if I could do that. So he's kind of wrestling with that a little bit. But you know what I see in him? He wants to be great. He wants to have purpose in his life. And this is the kind of person that Jesus calls to follow him. Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Follow me and I'm gonna give you purpose like you never imagined. It's incredible to me that Jesus gives all of us the opportunity to help someone else pursue God. He gives every one of us the opportunity to make a disciple. One of my missions in life is to see everyone that I disciple make a disciple. That's one of my missions. And the reason is because it gives you such joy. It gives you such, such connection to Jesus, your Savior, when you, when you go shoulder to shoulder with him and make disciples like he does. And so probably many of you are making disciples. And we hope in 2021 that many more will make disciples as well because Jesus is the author of purpose and he wants to bring eternal pur- purpose. It really means something in this life. I, when, I got a, when I graduated, I actually have a master's in mathematics, and I taught math for a few years, but I knew from the very beginning that this is not what I was going to do for the rest of my life, was teach math. Because I, I fast-forwarded back when I was in my 20s, I fast-forwarded my life, and I thought, how would I feel if at the end of my life I could just say, look at all these myriads of students I taught how to do calculus? And it's not that that's a bad thing. But I, in my life, I felt like I want to know that I did something that was more eternal. And God has that for all of us. You don't have to go into ministry full time to do that. God has that for all of us because he's placed eternity on our hearts. Let's end with a couple scriptures. 2 Corinthians 4.18. So Paul says, we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I love that passage. We fix our eyes on what is unseen, not on what is seen. And Jesus himself said this, I'm with you always, even to the very end of the age. So Jesus, the author of eternity, is with us to give us joy, to give us his love that goes so much deeper than anything we've experienced here on earth and give us his purpose. Let's follow that Jesus into 2021. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray that you would help us to tap in to the joy that comes only from you. It's eternal joy. It's not, it's not short-lived happiness, but it's eternal joy. And God, to sense the love that is eternal and unconditional that comes from the eternal, the author of eternity, 
Thank you that your love has no end, that your love doesn't run out, that your love doesn't bump up against the ceiling. We praise you for that, author of eternity. And thank you, Lord Jesus, that you give us purpose, that you call us to something more than just consumer Christianity, but that you call us to come alongside you in your mission because eternity's for real. And you've fixed, you've put everyone's, you've, you've placed eternity on everyone's heart. So everyone knows that there's something more than this life. There's something more that, than what this life has to offer. So I pray for the person who's listening to this here in this room. God, that, that you would allow them, if they haven't met you, to meet the author of eternity. And God, that today might be the day that begins this, this new journey with you, the journey of love and joy and purpose. And we praise you for it. We worship you because of it. In the name of Jesus, we pray these things.